0: Good morning, morning. how's everybody this morning, I'm a wee bit nervous but uh, I think that's understandable despite the fact that I have given at this point probably thousands of lectures (laughs) to students over the years, so um, today we'll be talking about Christ as the suffering servant, uh, looking at that Isaiah passage that we reflectively read together earlier Um, But before we get into all of that, I did wanna at least share a brief testimony, you know, how I came to Christ, and a little bit about my heart and vision for campus ministry. As many of you know and have been praying for, I will be starting up a Bible study for a lot of the college students this semester. And so just wanna give a little bit about me and my story before we dig into Isaiah. So, um, I guess just to start... um, when I was a teenager slash early young adult, uh, I was, I would say I, I wasn't a Christian at that time. I was very angry, judgmental, harsh individual. Had a lot of uh, hate towards other people, uh, especially when they didn't believe the same things I believed and, um, you know, I justified a lot of that judgment and anger under the name of Christianity. You know, I, I went to church on Sundays, but uh, didn't really understand the gospel at the time and what Christ had done for me. Um, in my freshman year at college, I was actually a student here at Lyon. Um, started back in 2011, so over 10 years ago now. Um, my freshman year, I didn't even like go to church at all. Um, and at the end of my freshman year, one of my the mothers of one of my friends gave me a book to read called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Um, and if you've ever read that book, it's a wonderful book about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, and he's kind of called The Forgotten God because a lot of people treat the Holy Spirit like the crazy uncle um, of the Trinity, right? Uh, it was kind of Francis Chan's point. And, Uh, she gave me that book at the end of my freshman year, and I went the whole summer without reading it, and finally I'm like, fine, I'll read it so I can hand it back to her and tell her I read it. And um, when I did, it really opened my eyes to one, what Christianity could be, and two, how little I knew about my own faith. Like, I just, it just made me realize, like, I didn't really understand who Jesus was. I didn't understand the gospel. I definitely didn't understand what the Holy Spirit, like who the Holy Spirit was or what his role in our life is. Um, and so that just got me really curious and interested in exploring Christianity. And so um, after my, one of my grandfathers passed away my sophomore year, I started going to the local BCM that we heard about um, in the announcements. And uh, there I met some Christians who looked different than most other Christians I had met at that point. They genuinely loved people um, and loved God in a way that I had just not really ever seen. Um, And again, I just kept getting curious, went to some church camps and things like that. Um, And finally, my junior year rolls around and I uh, go to a Bible study that's led by one of the chemistry professors at Lyon. Um, and he would have us over to his house on Friday nights, and his wife would cook for us, and we'd play games, and we were going through a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, which is another really good book, and as I was going through that book, that was when I understood the gospel for the first time, and the difference between who I was before that (laughs) and who I was after that, it was just night and day, again, because like, I was a very angry, hateful person. I did not like people, had a lot of sin and um, stuff in my life. And afterwards, like, I just wanted to be around people. I discovered the joys of loving people, um, of loving God. And um, it's just hard to explain. Like, I mean, you know who I am now. Like, that's. The me now is not who I was then. Um, and that is a very, very good thing. Um, and so the rest, as they say, is history, right? So that's that's just a little bit about my story. Um, over the next few years, God really grew in me a passion for teaching, um, and especially teaching his word. Um, because I remember those early days being... Uh, as a part of the BCM, just like hearing a lot of Christianese words and having no idea what people meant, you know? Um, I thought whenever people said like, oh, I was convicted of a sin, it it sounded a little bit like a felony, you know? (laughs) Because that's how most people use conviction, right? Um, (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I really enjoy passing that on. And I, I really wanna be like that chemistry professor was for me. I want to invest in college kids the way he did for me. And have them over, feed them, love them, and share the word with them. Um, and so, again, a little bit about me, and so today we're going to be looking at Isaiah 52, uh, 13 through fifty-three, twelve. 12, um, and this passage is all biblical poetry. And so, um, just to wax poetic about that, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there will be dad jokes. So, um. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but just to wax poetic about biblical poetry a little bit, again, because this is part of my passion, right? Like explaining how it works, right? You see up there a bunch of gibberish, uh, kind of. If you turn to Isaiah 52, this is the basic format that it is probably represented in your Bible, right, where it's kind of got some indented lines, some lines that are really indented and things like this. And so I just wanted to take some time to explain what is the format of biblical poetry, how did the ancient Hebrew writers, why, did, why do we structure it this way? Um, and so I'm using uh, something called lipsum, which is basically a bunch of Latin gibberish to focus on the structure rather than the words that are actually up there. So... Um, Basically, in ancient Hebrew poetry, the poem is first broken up into stanzas, right? Which stanzas function a lot like a paragraph, right? So this might be a typical stanza or paragraph in a biblical poem. Um, And then in each stanza, it's broken up into couplets or triplets most of the time. And so how do we tell like what part is a couplet? Well, that's where the single indented line comes into play, right? Whenever it's just a single indention, that is the second part of a couplet. Um, and so that first verse up there, you see the first line is the first part of this couplet, the second indented line is the second part of the couplet. And the same thing with verse two. Um, and then verse three would be a triplet, right? Where you have your first line and then the second two lines are just single indented, right? So you've got couplets and triplets and things like this. And then verse three there that I have up when it has that double indented line, that basically just means they ran out of room on the page. And so the double indented line is part of the first line. And so the second, that third verse is actually just a couplet because that double indented line is part of the first one. And so why do I bring this up? Well, again, a lot of the times these indented lines in biblical poetry build on the lines that aren't indented, right? They build on it using some kind of contrast, some kind of comparison, some kind of uh, Repetition or continuation of the initial thought. And so just as I'm reading this, a lot of the times I'll read this in kind of the couplet, triplet strategy, um, and I just kinda want you to notice like, hey, like when you see that indented line, a lot of the times it's repeating or contrasting with the line above it. So, um, cool, again, that's, that's part of my teacher coming out a little bit, uh, I just wanted to explain that, if you hadn't heard that before. Um, So, and a lot of the times uh, as we get into the passage, I will kind of pause a little bit after a stanza just to kind of be like, hey, we finished a stanza before we move on to the next uh, paragraph. So, sweet, without further ado, let's look at the passage for today's sermon. Um, So Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which, that, for that which had not been told them, they shall see, and that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light." he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your sacrifice at the cross. Thank you for your Son, who is the suffering servant that we read about in this passage, who bore our infirmities, who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Thank you for loving us that much. I ask that just as we Study your word today that you really help us to understand suffering at a deeper level and how to walk through suffering in our own lives. Um, Just give us the ears we need to hear the words that you've prepared for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So Isaiah is a very, very rich book and we could spend months digging into all that Isaiah has to offer. Heck, (laughs) we could spend weeks just talking about that passage, right? There's so much richness in that passage. Um, But there are kind of three things I wanna focus on in this sermon. So the first thing I wanna focus on is I wanna show, want you to know that you aren't alone in your suffering, right? Um, In particular, Christ suffered all the ways that we do and that enables him to empathize with us, especially in his role as great high priest in ways that, Other priests, other people just can't, right? Um, Second, I wanna talk about the perspective that we should have in suffering, right? How, what helps us endure suffering? What gives us that hope, that joy in suffering um, and in hard times in our lives? And a a lot of that will come from first looking at how Jesus, what was his perspective in suffering and then how does that apply to us Um, And then lastly, I wanna talk about how the Lord redeems suffering, right? Because I don't think he's content to just um, empathize with our suffering or shape our perspective in suffering. I think he actually wants to redeem it and use it for his glory and our good. And so those are the three big points today. And so the first point's up there, the empathy of Christ. Um, And so... You know, you've probably heard it said, I know I have, that everyone has either just come out of a season of suffering, um, is currently in a season of suffering, or is about to enter a season of suffering. Unfortunately, suffering is common, (laughs) the common human experience. Everybody suffers, experiences pain and um, agony throughout this life. Um... And so I wanna start by talking about the ways Christ suffered when he was on this earth. And so um, if we kind of go ahead to the next slide, um, we see several different sufferings of Christ in Isaiah, right? We see how he was um, despised and rejected by others, how he was a man of suffering, Uh, It describes him as acquainted with infirmity, as wounded, as crushed, punished, bruised, oppressed, afflicted, taken away by a perversion of justice. Um, Can you relate to any of these sufferings that Jesus went through? I know I can. Um, Rejected by others, acquainted with infirmity, despised, wounded. Um, You know, when you're a teacher, Not all your students are going to like you. (laughs) Several of them are going to quite actively despise you. Um, There's been a lot of infirmity, uh, you know, both in my life and in the life of my family, right? So I feel very well acquainted with infirmity. You know, I've been wounded both physically and emotionally. Um, And I I could go on, right? Uh, Maybe you've been affected by a perversion of justice but our God is a just God. Um, Maybe you've been punished, bruised, um, repressed, afflicted. Um, Anything else that you see up there? Um, And again, I want you to understand that this describes both Christ's sufferings and ours, right? That's part of that you are not alone, that Christ's empathy and so a natural question when you're, we're studying Christ's sufferings here is, why? You know, why did Christ have to suffer? Um, and well, that's, <laughs> that's a very deep question. Um, and we don't have time to get into all of that this morning. Um, but I do think a partial answer is found in the book of Hebrews. And so um, we'll mainly be sitting out in Isaiah, but we'll also be flipping to Isaiah in 2nd, or flipping to Hebrews and 2 Corinthians a few times throughout the sermon. So uh, the first passage I wanna look at is Hebrews 2, uh, verse 10 and verses 17 to 18. And so here we see that um, Paul, or not Paul, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but the author is reading, uh, is saying, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. For because because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. And then again in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 we read, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And so again, there's a lot to unpack in these two passages, but I wanna focus on just a couple of ideas. So the first one, is that Jesus was like us in every respect, right? Um, He suffered like we do. He experienced the temptations that we do, right? Um, And because of that, that means he is a merciful and graceful, faithful high priest, right? One that is actually able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been through it, right? And not even just sympathize, right, but empathize, right? Because again, he's been through it. And so... I don't know, I just just find that idea very comforting, right? Knowing that I'm not alone in the crap that I've been through, right? Whether it's experiencing loss, whether it's experiencing um, wounded or uh, injustice or any of those other things we looked at uh, a couple slides ago. Um, Second thing I wanna highlight is Jesus' empathy means he's able to help us, right? Um, That. Verse 16 that we see up there, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Why can we approach with boldness? Because he's been through it too, right? Um, And so he knows what you've been through, (laughs) what you're going through, and what you're going to go through better than anyone else, even the closest person in your life, because he suffered, when he was on earth. And so I don't know that that's the complete answer to why he had to suffer, but I do think that is a big part of why he suffered, right? Is to be there with us in our pain and in our anguish. And so just to illustrate how this, this idea has helped me personally a lot this summer, um, I've really had to rely on Jesus' experience, specifically with the loss, um, to help me grieve the death of my grandmother a few months ago. Um, And in particular, I've been reflecting a lot on John chapter 11. um, Because in that passage, uh, we see the death of Lazarus. And again, in that passage, Lazarus is described as the one that Jesus loved, right? And so Jesus experiences the loss of a loved one and he weeps, right? That's kind of the famous uh, verse that a lot of kids like to memorize, uh, Jesus wept, right? but the the comfort in that that passage is he knows what it's like to lose someone, <laughs> you know, um, and I can't tell you how many times this summer her loss just hits me, and I want to <laughs> and I start crying or um, just lose myself and um, just find comfort in knowing that Jesus knows how to grieve. He can guide me through that grieving process. Um, And so, I don't know. I have a hard time expressing in words how (laughs) comforting that's been for me this summer. Um, And then just to give another example, and then we'll look at some more New Testament passages. Um, This past year was a pretty rough year, um, and I'm not gonna get into all of that up here, but this past summer alone, I, I gave my of myself a lot. I traveled a lot and uh, sacrificed a lot this summer. And I frequently felt like I was depleted and had nothing left to give, right? Um, there was a, a math conference that I went to a few weeks ago and just before that conference, I just felt like I, I hadn't, nothing to give to show up to that conference, right? I didn't feel like I had the endurance to go to the conference. I didn't feel like I had the character to represent Christ well at that conference or the hope in uh, Jesus um, that he would uh, help me get through that conference. And I bring up those three terms specifically, endurance, character, and hope, because we'll get into how that plays with suffering a little bit later in the sermon. Um, And I... Could you, like, I remember on the plane ride down to the conference, uh, just praying and asking for God to meet me in my depletion, in my emotional anguish, in my loneliness, um, with confidence that he can help me, um, because he experienced all those things too, you know? And he did, he showed up. He <laughs> um, really helped me get a lot out of that conference, even though I really didn't wanna be there, <laughs> so... Um, Praise the Lord. So again, rather than just me kind of sharing my own experiences or telling you that he generally empathizes with your sufferings, let's look at some more ways that Christ has suffered in his life in the New Testament. And so um, some of the ways Christ has suffered in the New Testament include, um, sorry, where's this in my notes? Here we go. Um, being despised and rejected by others, right? We see that, um oh, sorry, I was looking at the wrong part of my notes. Uh, Gotta love teacher moments, right? Uh, (laughs) Teachable moments, right? We aren't perfect. So, Mm. So, here we are. Uh, We see him experiencing temptations, homelessness, homelessness. judgment for where he was from, right? A lot of people are like, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, right? Are you kidding me? Um, and I know I've experienced some of that uh, in my life. You know, he, he was abandoned, right? There was a point he gave a sermon, and after the sermon, all his followers just left. Um, and he even turns to, to Peter and's like, are you going to leave me too? And uh, Peter's like, where else would I go? It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, loss of a loved one I mentioned in John 11. Anxiety um, in the garden of Gethsemane before the, the cross. Um, betrayal by Judas. He was mocked and he was beaten. Um, and those are just some of the ways we see Christ suffer in his life, right? I mean, it's not exhaustive, right? <laughs> to exhaust the list, you'd have to go through the entire <laughs> four Gospels, right? Um, and even then, we wouldn't see all of it. Um, and this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list. of His sufferings are the ways you've suffered in your life. But... Um, I want to end this this part of the sermon with this kind of reminder. He is Elroy, which is a Hebrew term um, that was given to him by Hagar at a well whenever she was being persecuted by Sarah. And it means, uh, Elroy means the God who sees me. Um, And again, she was being persecuted. She was very much suffering in that moment. And it's just this reminder that God sees us in our, darkest moments and our um, pain. And that gives us the freedom to be vulnerable with the Lord and not just bottle it up, um, but share with him and ask for help um, in our suffering. And so now I want to go and transition to the perspective of uh, Christ, right? How do we find hope in the midst of suffering, right? Yes, he empathizes with us, but what hope is there when we're going through um, the crap that we go through in this life? Um, and what was Jesus's perspective in suffering? Right, and so to get some idea of Jesus's perspective in suffering, again, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, um, verses 1 and 2, uh, where it says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely." And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when we read this passage, what allowed him to endure the pain of the cross, the shame of the cross? It was joy, right? And it was the joy set before him. Um, And well, what what was the joy? What was the joy waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross? I think at least part of the answer to that question is our forgiveness of sins, (laughs) Um, our redemption, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, right? The fact that he was doing this to bring us to himself, right? Right? Um, in short, our salvation is the joy that allowed him to endure the cross. Um, isn't that a beautiful <laughs> idea, right? That um, that knowing we would come to know him um, and the Father and the Spirit through his sacrifice is just, it's wonderful. Um, And so I want you to kind of keep that picture in mind, that he's doing this, that the joy of our salvation is what allowed him to endure the cross when we look back at Isaiah, right? Um, And so in particular, starting in verse four, it says, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. And again, (laughs) for the sake of the joy set before him, was he able to do this? And then, despite that, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And I don't know, I just find that it shapes how I read that passage when I kind of keep that in mind that it's like he was crushed for our iniquities for the sake of the joy set before him. He was um, wounded for our transgressions for the sake of the joy set before him. Um, He didn't open his mouth when he was oppressed and afflicted because of the joy set before him. And so I think it is natural, oops, I think it is natural that for us, that has to be a part of our perspective in suffering, right? When we're going through the hardships um, of life, we have to focus on the joy set before us, right? That is part of what God wants to shape our perspective. Um, Again, if you look back at Hebrews, it says, let us run with perseverance the race that is uh, set before us, looking to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, right? And so looking at how Jesus did it is important for how we are supposed to endure suffering, right? And so, but I don't think that's all that uh, scripture has to say about that. And so now I wanna look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 16 to 5, uh, verse 2. Um, and so... There we read, um, again, this is Paul uh, writing to the Corinthian church. It says, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For the slight momentary affliction is preparing preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Um, and so I wanna camp out on this passage a little bit, you know, tense camping. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, the dad jokes I told you they were coming. Um. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, but how does Paul not lose heart according to this passage? Right. He he goes to so far to say as the slight momentary affliction, and if you know much about what Paul went through. <laughs> Most people would not call it a slight momentary affliction, right? Um, So how can he say slight momentary affliction? Um, Like what allows him to keep this perspective of not losing heart in the midst of hardships? Um, And ultimately we see it's by focusing on that eternal perspective, right? Compared to the eternal weight of glory, this life I mean, if you know much about math, right, infinity is a lot bigger than, you know, (laughs) a short period of time, right? Um, And so because of that eternal weight of glory, that joy that is waiting for us in heaven, that allows us to say this slight momentary affliction. That is what allows us to say we do not lose heart because that is part of what allows us to renew our inner image, right, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit um, in our lives. Um, it's by focusing on that what cannot be seen, not what is seen, right? Whenever we focus on our circumstances, on that stuff that we see around us, it's easy to lose hope. <laughs> it's easy to lose heart, um, to despair. It's focusing on that unseen, that... Um, as Paul describes it, that heavenly dwelling rather than this earthly tent, right? If you've ever been camping, tents don't protect you from the weather that much. (laughs) Uh, If you go camping in the winter, you're gonna get very, very cold. (laughs) And if you go camping in the summer, I I say this because I was an Eagle Scout, and we went camping a lot. And um, yeah, camping in the summer, you're gonna gonna sweat a lot. And so, And he's saying our, basically in this passage, an earthly tent is a metaphor for our body, right? Compared to the body we will have in heaven, this body is just a tent, right? It doesn't protect us, um, doesn't hold up the way that our bodies will in heaven, right? Um, And so that's part of like, in this tent we've grown longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, right? We want... um, we want what comes with heaven, right? That absence of pain, that presence of love, um, that joy, that peace that comes from being in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, and so, and we we see this idea that the future hope helps us maintain perspective in the present suffering all throughout the New Testament, right? You. Practically, pick a book in the New Testament, and it's going to talk about that at one point or another because it's that important. And so, and there are other things um, that shape, should shape our perspective uh, discussed in the New Testament. I'm not going to really get into this one, but like, again, if you go back to Hebrews 12 and read the rest of that passage, um, a lot of the times it's, or it talks about how um, we should endure suffering for the sake of discipline right, Um, and treating suffering as discipline, right, not that all suffering is God disciplining us or punishing us, that's not what it's saying, it's saying we view it as an opportunity to grow in discipline, and so that's just another perspective we see in the New Testament. So um, just to kind of start moving into that third uh, heading, right, that redemption of Christ, Um, I genuinely don't believe God is content with making sure we aren't alone in our suffering or shaping our perspective in suffering by giving us hope for the future. Um, He wants to redeem our suffering. And so how does he redeem our suffering? Again, let's start by looking at how he redeemed Christ's suffering. Uh, Back in Isaiah, uh, we'll be looking at 53 verses 10 to 12, where it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong." because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And I think verse 11 in particular is such a beautiful verse, right? Looking at verse 11, out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one my servant shall make many righteous. So, I don't know, just that out of his anguish, he shall see light. Like that's just powerful, right? Um, That light at the end of the dark night, right? Um, And then that the righteous one, my servant shall make many righteous. That is how God redeems Christ's sufferings, right? Christ's suffering wasn't the end of the story. It was used to make us righteous. Um, We wouldn't be here this morning without Jesus suffering. Um, There would be no Holy Spirit in us that is sanctifying us. There's no spirit in us calling out to Abba, Father. Um, There would be no justification, no forgiveness of sins um, without his sufferings, right? All these truths, all these doctrines are rooted in his sufferings, right? So God redeemed the crap that we put Jesus through (laughs) Um, when he was on earth, right? So what about our lives? How does God redeem our painful experiences? How does he take our past, our present, and our future and use it for his glory and our good? Um, One answer, I think, is found in Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. So just for a little bit of context on that passage Uh, Paul just finished explaining how Abraham and all the believers were justified by faith um, and faith alone. So, turning over to Romans, uh, it says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And so Paul's actually calling us to boast in our sufferings. (laughs) Um, Again, that... uh, noun we there, um, or pronoun, yeah, whatever, Uh, language. I'm a math major, I'm not an English major, so. (laughs) Um, But that we can also be translated as let us. So when he says, we also boast in our sufferings, it can also be translated, let us boast in our sufferings. Um, So why can we boast in our sufferings? That seems like a big claim by Paul. Um, Well, as he says, Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and it character produces hope, right? Um, and that's part of what I was, uh, I brought up earlier, and kind of my, the prayer I prayed before I went to my conference a few weeks ago is just asking the Lord to give me endurance <laughs> um, in my depleted state, asking him to give me the character to represent him well, um, and asking him to give me the hope that he will use that time well. Um, and so, again, I, I just think that those three fruits of suffering are really important in how he redeems it in our life, right? He, he doesn't just let it be suffering, be a painful experience, he uses it to give us hope, right? And not just like the frivolous hope that we use in our everyday language, right? Because how do we use hope Day to day. It's like, oh, I hope we can get some ice cream after dinner tonight. Um, (laughs) Or I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. Uh, Or I hope it's finally not 100 degrees this week. (laughs) Um, That one, I I think it will be hundreds most of the week, unfortunately. But we, we use it basically as wishful thinking, right? Or optimistic anticipation, right? That's how we use hope in our everyday language. But in the Bible, hope is something deeper. It's something more substantial. Um, It connotes uh, a conviction, a confident expectation uh, that the Lord is going to do what he says he's going to do, that he's going to fulfill his promises. And that confident expectation is despite our current circumstances, and it's rooted in God's past faithfulness, right? So like there's, there's confidence, there's that conviction um, that I was talking about uh, that hope connotes, right? That's why Paul says hope doesn't disappoint, right? Because if I say I hope I get ice cream tonight and then I don't, I'm disappointed, right? <laughs> but, but this is beyond that, right? It's that expectation that's rooted in God's faithfulness, right? And so this is part of what you can pray for <laughs> whenever you're going through sufferings is that God uses it to give you that endurance, that character, that hope um, in his character. And so I wanna look at kind of one final way that uh, Paul redeems, or that God redeems suffering. Um, and I, before we start landing the plane, and so, in 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses three to five, um, we see another way that God redeems suffering, and one that He wants us to be an active participant in. Um, so, in that passage, it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in affliction or in any affliction." with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. And first, I love how Paul describes God in this passage, right? Um, It says, uh, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolations, right? I love that. <laughs> that. That's a beautiful name for God that I don't think we hear um, all that often. And I love the reminder that, suf- that the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, right? That was the first part of the, the sermon, right? Is like his sufferings are abundant for us and that he consoles us and that consolation is abundant through Jesus. Um, but Paul is calling us to not only Find consolation in Christ, but to console others with the consolation we've received, right? Um, to actually do something with how God comforts us, right? Um, and this is something that in my own life God has redeemed my suffering. And so, um, my first year at grad school uh, at the University of Kansas was absolutely miserable. It was traumatic in a lot of ways. Um, just to highlight a couple of them, like I lost a lot of weight and well, <laughs> I don't have weight to lose. <laughs> um, I had pretty much had a mental breakdown and generally felt disintegrated and disconnected from my feelings, from reality, from those around me. Um <laughs> And at the end of my first semester, I had every intention of dropping out um, and not going back to school. Um, I didn't really have a plan for my future. (laughs) I just knew I didn't wanna go back to that place. Um, But the Spirit convicted me uh, that I needed to go back. And I was faithful to follow that call And I am so glad I did. I wouldn't wish my experiences on anybody, (laughs) not even my worst enemy. Um, But I also wouldn't trade them for the world. And a lot of that comes down to how God redeemed that trauma, that traumatic experience. He (sighs) took it and used it to deepen my ability to see other people's pain, to be there for other people when they're going through crap, to empathize with them, to... Go beyond empty platitudes, right? We've all kind of gotten those empty platitudes whenever we've lost someone or something like time heals all wounds or it'll get better with time and things like that. And it just feels hollow um, and meaningless. And, or people throw kind of scriptures at you without digging into the meat of the scriptures um, digging into that tension between suffering, anguish, and faith, right? And um, God gave me a passion for entering into that tension, uh, of passing on my failures, my mistakes, the things I learned through my hardships to others. Um, he made me a better teacher, <laughs> I think, a better friend, um, A better son, a better brother, because of that suffering that I went through. Um, And this past year, like I said earlier, it was another rough year. And I don't know how God's going to redeem it in my life. I don't know what He's going to do with that period. But I do have faith that He will redeem it, that He will, in His sovereignty, use it for His glory, my good. Uh, and the good of the church body. And I think that's true for all of us, right? Um, The past few years ever since the pandemic have been rough, I think, for everybody. (laughs) Um, But we serve a God who is sovereign, um, who uses it to love us, right? To help remind us of who he is Um, and the gospel of the sacrifice of his son, and so, as we land the plane, what are some takeaways? What are some applications from the sermon, from uh, this passage in Isaiah that we studied? Um, the first one is, I think, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Um, and so, in this passage, sorry, let me get to it. Um, Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if that's not a beautiful (laughs) promise from Jesus, I don't know what is, it's... Such a powerful passage, and so if you're going through it right now or you just caught out of a really rough season, go to the Father, because He gives you rest for your soul. His burden is light. Um, And if you wanna know more about (laughs) this Jesus that I've been talking to, I'd be happy to share more about what He's done in my life um, with you. Um, And then go boldly to the throne of the suffering servant, right, knowing that he empathizes with you, and he is the God of consolation, right? He, that's who he is, that's his character, he can't change that. Um, go vulnerably, share with him what's going on in your life. Focus on the joy set before you, right? That promise of heaven, um, of our, that glorious dwelling place we'll have, that lack of pain, that presence of love. And then comfort those around you. Um, When you see people, we all need comfort. (laughs) Um, Taking the time in our day to just see someone and not just say, how are you doing? But like mean, how are you doing, right? A lot of the times we say like, oh, how are you doing? And then it's like, fine, when you're not fine. (laughs) Um, And being honest with people, giving people the permission to be honest by being honest yourself. Um, Just taking how God has comforted you, how the church body's comforted you and sharing that with others. And so that's all she wrote. (laughs) Um, I hope this sermon has been encouraging to you this morning and that God uses it in your life to meet you where you're at. So um, I think we've got one more song uh, this morning, but before we do, let me go ahead and pray us out. So. Our Heavenly Father, our God of consolation, Elroy, um, Christ the Suffering Servant, I ask that you just see us this morning, where we're at, whether we are suffering, just came out of it, or are about to enter it. I ask that you just meet us where we're at and remind us of your love, and help us take your love Let it build endurance in our heart, build character, so that we have hope in who you are and can run the race set before us well. I ask that you um, give us the strength to comfort those around us and that others would comfort us in our pain as well. And as we go throughout this week, help us to just reflect on your character and what it means for our lives. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.